Hello everybody, this is ESVS podcast. My name is Vaiva Dabravalskaite and together with Chair of Examination, Professor Mauro Gorgiulo, we are here today to help you prepare for the VPVS examination, in particular, academic paper appraisal. Hello Professor Gorgiulo, how are you today? Fine, thanks. It's a great pleasure to stay with you today to speak about the, the academic paper of this exam. Okay, and today we have a tough task, in my opinion, to clarify in a podcast the scary part of an examination, so appraisal of an academic paper. As a short reminder for, to future examinees that this part of the exam accounts for a maximum of 32 points, an examinee will be given a paper and allowed 25 minutes to read the paper and make notes. After that, the Viva will be presented on a laptop using a series of PowerPoint slides, and the appraisal will last for 20 minutes. A short remark here from my side is that an examinee will be allowed to take his notes and the paper with him to the examination room and take a look at it if he needs during the examination process. Professor Gorgiulo, can you share your successful advices on or key elements to a good appraisal of an academic paper? By quickly reading the introduction and focusing more on the mythos, where it is important to understand the type of study, if it's a prospective, retrospective, is a trial, is a systematic review, and the inclusion and exclusion criteria in the statistical analysis, but we need to uh, evaluate correctly during these uh, 25 minutes uh, the endpoints uh, of the study. Immediately afterwards, focus on the results and evaluate results in relation to the methods and the point and uh, the endpoints with maximum attention to the tables. Finally, I think uh, that it's important. Uh, to stress if the paper is important for your daily practice, for your clinical activities, in relation even to the discussion of the paper. Exactly. So Professor already spoiled quite a good tips on how to appraise the paper. And let's try to move on with an illustration from the previous exam. So we are going to try to address both general considerations when appraising the paper and also specify the questions based on the example I'm going to give it in a minute. So the paper which was presented in one of the exams a few years back was by Martin et al. And the title was Early Thrombosis After Iliac Stenting for Venous Outflow Occlusion is Related to Disease Severity and Type of Anticoagulation. Surely, I will add a link to this paper in the show notes. Professor Gajula, the title of any paper, as you mentioned as well, is very important. I always read it for a few times or maybe five times sometimes in order to understand if the title itself is sending a correct message already to the audience. Do you agree? Absolutely. Uh, I agree totally with you. I think uh, that uh, it is the way to start off on the right foot uh, for uh, the, the paper evaluation. The title often uh, tells us the type of study, if it's a retrospective or prospective study, is a single center, a multi-center, if the, this is a meta-analysis, systematic review or a trial. And then um, frequently the topic of the study uh, is reported inside of the a title, and in some cases, uh, we can have uh, even uh, some information regarding the results uh, of the study. 
So let's try to look at this uh, paper's sum up. So the objective of the study was to examine outcomes in patients with complete venous outflow occlusion, focusing on variables associated with early post-stenting stenosis. The study period was between 2010 and 2022. A study was retrospective analysis and it included 106 patients. It was a multicenter study. Major focus of the study was on a patients with a type 3 or type 4 diseases and the endpoints were early thrombosis rates, patency rates, primary and secondary, risk factor analysis and anticoagulation therapy effectiveness. By focusing on these endpoints, the study aimed to derive insights into the optimal management and treatment strategies for patients undergoing iliac stenting, especially those with severe venous outflow occlusions and a higher risk of thrombus. So one of the first questions usually the, the examinees get is to shortly describe the study in their own words in order to present their understanding of the paper itself. Do you think this piece of information would be enough to define the study initially? Yes, um, uh, alongside uh, this element, the study aim, uh, the study type, the number of patients and endpoints, uh, I would also add that uh, you need to stress even uh, the inclusion and exclusion criteria that is um, one of the main aspects of the methods. And uh, um, I think that uh, we need to quickly describe uh, with a summary the results uh, and the conclusion. Then. Uh, when uh, you start with the discussion uh, uh, regarding the paper, the first aspect is uh, uh, you need to, to summarize the paper. And uh, I think that you need to focus uh, attention to, to uh, at the level of some points of the methods and the results, in particular regarding uh, the major aspect of the results uh, that are reported even in the frequently in the take-home messages uh, of the paper. Exactly. And just a short note to our listeners and to people who are preparing for the exam that academic paper not necessarily is always perfect. So this information is probably or might be missing and that is okay. And you are uh, expected to notice those things and to report them if there are some uh, misalignments with what they are searching for and what they are presenting. And now uh, another rather typical question is regarding the study design. This study is a multi-center retrospective cohort study of patients who underwent stenting for chronic obstruction in the iliac veins. Study included 160 patients. Their average age was 49.8 years. They had a mix of type 3 and 4 diseases. Analysis was performed by examining preoperative imaging, patients' characteristics, and procedural variables and post-stent complications. From this piece of information, what would you say about the study design? It is a retrospective, uh, is a multi-center, probably two centers, uh, case series of 106 patients who underwent the iliofemoral stenting for chronic lower limb occlusive venous disease mostly post-thrombotic syndrome over a large recruitment period because we have 12 years uh, and uh, this is probably one of the limitations uh, because, for example, uh, in uh, 12 uh, years, uh, we have a, a, a very important evolution uh, of technologies regarding uh, 
the treatment uh, of the uh, venous disease, in particular uh, deep venous disease uh, and the endovascular treatment of deep venous disease. So as you already mentioned, looking strictly at the method, it does impose uh, possible limitations and raise some concerns of the study. So we have a retrospective study which raises potential biases. We have a low number of patients and a 12-year period. And... Uh, uh, do you think a number of participants in general is appropriate to draw any conclusions in this matter? Uh, again, uh, you need uh, a critical approach to the paper. And uh, the one of the main uh, limitations, I think, in this paper is uh, that uh, patients who were lost of follow-up were excluded. Uh, due to the, this uh, approach uh, to the follow-up, uh, this is not a consecutive group of patients. This is one of the risk of a selection bias for this paper, for example. In an extreme scenario, we can think that those lost to follow-up may have high risk factors, but no stent occlusion, for example. And the authors did not report the number of them or their baseline characteristics, then it's impossible uh, to compare the patients that are included and the patients that are excluded of the study. Then uh, I think that uh, we needed to go inside of the methods uh, to define if uh, we can define some bias and selection bias uh, of the paper. The other point regarding uh, the number of participants, the number of patients, uh, again, uh, we have only 106 patients in 12 years. The collection is uh, between uh, 12 years and uh, 11 interventionalists with a different technical choice. Probably this is another bias. The long term of collection, different uh, technologies, different uh, interventionalists with different probably approach to the occlusion of the deep venous. And there's also some pieces of information from the theoretical point of view. So they have been mentioning type 3 and type 4 disease. Uh, during the exam, you might be asked, what is the CAP classification and what is it used for? We know very well that the CAP classification is a clinical, etiological, anatomical and pathophysiological uh, classification that uh, allow us to frame the venous uh, pathology by defining the clinical stage that is between C0 and C6 uh, according with the clinical aspect from the absence of pathology, visible pathology to the uh, venous ulcer, the etiology that could be primary, secondary or congenital, or the anatomical distribution with involvement of superficial, deep or perforating veins, and the, the pathophysiology. And then let's move on to another a little bit scary area for many people, especially the ones who are not so actively involved in academic work. So it's statistical analysis. Can you mention what is expected from the listeners? So what scope of information from statistical point of view is the examinee expected to know? Yes, this is a, a critical point frequently because I agree with you if uh, uh, the candidates uh, come from uh, uh, not uh, academic uh, centers, sometimes uh, uh, they don't know very well uh, these, uh, uh, the statistical analysis. But uh, I agree that we need to know terminology and uh, 
uh, why we have to use one method and uh, what does it mean uh, p-value, odd ratio, confidential interval. In this paper in particular, in subsection uh, regarding statistical analysis, uh, the authors reported the role of the Kaplan-Meier analysis, the role of the univariate analysis with artificial exact tests, and the multivariate logistic regression to evaluate for independent association between the one of the main endpoints. Yeah, I think those are really valid points. And I would like just to stretch out that examinees are not expected to know how to do coding and complex and complex analysis, but they are expected to be able to read a scientific paper and to be able to interpret, for example, different graphs or or different testing methods, the basic ones, which Professor already mentioned, for example, from this study. And let's move on to the results of this paper. So early thrombosis occurred in 25.5% of cases within three months postoperatively. Primary patency rate was 74.5% at three months, and it was decreasing over time. Secondary patency was higher. Risk factor analysis identified as uh, the presence of a hypercoagulable state, type 4 obstruction, and type of anticoagulation used post-stenting, and finally, uh, use of low molecular weight heparin for more than 10 days post-procedure was linked to significantly lower odds of reclusion. Did the author address all endpoints he was indicating in the ENDS abstract? I think the true answer is yes, because if you compare the outcome reported in the statistical analysis and the, the results, you can see the primary outcome that was the, the stent thrombosis or reocclusion within three months of implantation. We can have information regarding primary and secondary stent patency according with the Kaplan-Meier analysis. And uh, we uh, can define uh, pre-intraprocedural and periprocedural variable uh, risk factors related uh, to the early stent thrombosis. Then uh, I think there is a correlation between uh, the methods and the results uh, regarding uh, the endpoints uh, of this paper. Exactly. So another really important point is to actually compare what authors did indicate they are going to test and what they actually did. And the take-home message of this study is that patients with complete inclusion of the iliofemoral venous tract have a higher risk of early thrombosis after stenting than do those with less severe disease. This risk was reduced with the use of low molecular weight heparin for over 10 days after stenting. We recommend a treatment course of three to four weeks before transitioning to an oral anticoagulant. Is there any recent guidelines to support this recommendation from the study? Yes, um, I think that with this question, you stress that the figure number two, uh, where uh, you can see the different results uh, according to different uh, therapy in the postoperative period. And uh, we know that uh, we have uh, the guidelines from the European Society of Vascular Surgery that were published in 2022, the clinical uh, practice uh, guidelines uh, on treatment of venous disease. And um, uh, in these guidelines, the society reported that uh, if there is no indication uh, for a long 
long-term anticoagulation in patients related to, for example, cardiological problems, the post-operative anticoagulation should be uh, prescribed. And, uh, but uh, there is uh, no evidence or insufficient evidence uh, to guide the decision-making regarding the duration of this uh, treatment. We have some Delphi consensus that uh, reported that probably we need um, uh, for uh, six months uh, after intervention at the treatment, but again, uh, is only Delphi consensus, uh, low evidence. And uh, in addition to thrombotic, uh, to antithrombotic treatment, uh, we think that uh, we need to add uh, not only anticoagulation, but it's important to speak even regarding the mobilization of the patients and uh, to decrease uh, the risk of complication or reocclusion after the endovascular treatment. Then, uh, if you want to stress regarding the role of uh, anticoagulation, we don't have data from uh, the literature regarding the, the duration, but we have some, uh, we have the guidelines from the European societies that uh, can uh, support us with some recommendation. Yes, and I believe that the other rather typical question at the exam is if an examinee would apply this knowledge in his or her daily practice or change it based on that. It is possible uh, to think about uh, the possibility to modify, to change our uh, clinical approach according with the literature. Then uh, I think that uh, one of the main aspects is to discuss uh, the, the examiners regarding the role of this paper in your daily practice in the treatment of patients with occlusive disease of the iliofemoral venous segment. Yes, those would be the basic things to know when appraising the scientific paper. I think it is crucial to mention that it is important to practice it before the exam. Read a paper in detail and make notes, which would help you organize your thoughts during the exam. In the links attached below, as well as VBVS official page, there is also a lot of uh, helpful appraisal tools to help examinees to learn and to prepare for academic paper part. Professor Gajula, would you like to add any final remarks? Very short remarks uh, uh, after your uh, last words, uh, Laila, because... Uh, uh, I think that the suggestion you gave up um, in uh, carrying out uh, some exercise from the moment uh, you receive the communication of the exam uh, data um, until the exam is very important. You can use some retrospective, prospective studies, uh, trial, uh, and uh, paper regarding systematic review uh, to, uh, to use uh, as exercise to evaluate uh, how it's possible uh, with a critical approach uh, to evaluate the different papers. Uh, it is important to study in the same time the basic uh, uh, of statistics if uh, it, it uh, have not been part uh, of the residency training program. And uh, I agree with you that I recommend uh, to see the ESVS podcast, then I think that it is possible to have uh, with the ESVS podcast and the page, uh, the official page of the European Board of Vascular Surgery to receive all the information 
to attend the exam without any problem and with high percentage of success for the exam. Exactly. We are here to reduce your anxiety before the exam. So, dear professor, uh, I thank you again for helping me present this material to our future fellows and see you next week. Thank you very much. It was a great pleasure to be part of this podcast of the European Society of Vascular Surgery with you. And to our listeners, a friendly reminder to take a look at previous podcasts as well as a high variety of podcasts on clinical topics which will greatly assist you in preparations for the exam. Stay tuned and goodbye.